Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Hey church, we hope and trust you are having a good holy week and we so look forward to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus together on Sunday, two service times at 9 and 11 outdoors at Fort Washington Elementary School. And if you can't join us in person, uh, we also have our service online available across all of our media platforms. And we just can't wait to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. And to get to Easter, we got to go through Good Friday. And uh, in the 1990s, when I was growing up, they had this two-hour block of shows called TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. And by the way, we have an amazing 90s sermon series, 90s throwback series, starting next week. And we can't wait. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. But this two-hour block of shows was every Friday night. And they had great shows like Full House, Step by Step, Family Matters, uh, Boy Meets World. And these shows dominated the ratings Uh, throughout the 1990s. Thank God it's Friday, TGIF. Now this day, Good Friday, wasn't always called Good Friday because when Good Friday happened 2000 years ago, no one said TGIF. Nobody said, thank God it's Friday. If ever there was a bad Friday, it was the first Good Friday. The day humanity nailed Jesus to an old rugged cross. But it really was a Good Friday. TGIF, right? Because of what happened 2,000 years ago, we experience salvation in Christ. We experience freedom in Jesus. We experience the new and abundant life that he offers. And there are lots of theories and metaphors used to describe how what Jesus did on the cross works, what it accomplished, trying to make sense of it. And the Bible uses lots of different metaphors to describe this reality that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, it works. Uh, and there's lots of different metaphors the Bible uses. And the metaphors are just that, they're metaphors. The metaphor isn't what does the saving, Jesus does. They're simply helpful in describing what happened, what took place, what was accomplished 2,000 years ago on that first Good Friday. Here are a few ways that the Bible describes what Jesus did on the cross. They used it as the cross as a a victory over Satan. Okay, this is the Christus Victor uh, atonement theory. Then there's the cross as an example of how we too should live a life of sacrificial love. The cross as being a ransom paid so we can be free from our bondage. The cross as a sacrifice for our sins, like the Old Testament lambs. The cross as substitution, that Jesus took on the wrath of God so that we didn't have to. And finally, the cross as revealing the violence of mankind and revealing the love of God. These are all different metaphors and ways to explain how Jesus dying on the cross and rising on the third day does something does something eternal, does something significant, does something in our very lives. In all of these ways that Christians have used to, metaphors to explain uh, the crucifixion for the last 2,000 years, uh, often Christians end up fighting about which metaphor best describes what happened, or they declare that their metaphor is the only metaphor, and all other metaphors don't really make sense of the cross. They don't do it justice. And I think that that is just an adventure in missing the point. 
Christians, we, we struggle with this all the time. Um, we get caught up in, in, in silly debates that miss the point that God is trying to relate to us. The point is that it works, not which metaphor is better than the others. There are three kinds of maps for London, the city of London. I've spent a couple days there. Uh, it can be quite confusing to get around the city, so you need a bunch of maps. There's the street map, then there's the map depicting all the different alleyways to get someplace, and then there's an underground map of the subway. Each map is accurate and correct, to a T, but each map does not give the complete picture. To see, right, to see the whole, you would need all three maps layered on each other. However, that is just so confusing. And so most of us just use one map at a time. It's the same with the words used to describe the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Each word, like redemption, reconciliation, substitution, justification, they're accurate and correct, but each word does not give a complete and whole picture. To see the whole, we need to place one layer on top of the other, but that sometimes is confusing, so we usually just stick with one metaphor or the other. Today, on Good Friday, let us read the story of the cross in all of its horror. Let us read it with all the magnitude that it merits. May we not lose sight of the power and the depth and the love and the scandal of the God of the universe being crucified by the very people he created. May we not lose sight of the horror within humanity and may we not lose sight of the beautiful, vast, infinite love of our creator. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15 and we are going to read this together. It says this in verse one. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, 
was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law had mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God, the Word of the Lord. There is just something so simple, so profound, and so powerful to just simply reading the story of Jesus' crucifixion. It's as if we are connected to Christians over the last 2,000 years who have also been moved by his story. And so are we. And we are connected with 2,000 years of Christian history, celebrating and remembering Jesus' sacrifice. In a moment, we will be taking communion together. So get your bread or your grape juice or whatever those are represented by in your own house. But I'd like to close our time with one more metaphor of the cross. This one, a modern day metaphor that happened at an elementary school classroom. The story is told of a, of a nine-year-old boy sitting at his desk when all of a sudden there was a puddle at his feet and the front of his pants were all wet. He thinks his heart is going to stop because he knows when the boys find out, he'll never hear the end of it. And when the girls find out, they'll never speak to him again as long as he lives. So the boy puts his head down and he prays this prayer. Dear God, this is an emergency. Help now. Five minutes from now will be too late. And he looks up from his prayer and here comes the teacher and her look in her eyes shows that, that he has been discovered. And as the teacher's coming close to snatch him up, a classmate named Susie was carrying a goldfish bowl. And as she gets near his desk, she falls, trips, and it lands all over the boy. In the midst of his surprise, he quietly prays, thank you, Jesus. Now, rather than being the object of ridicule, this boy now becomes 
the object of sympathy, right? The whole teacher, uh, the teacher rushes downstairs to give him gym shorts and to kind of let his pants dry. And so then the whole class uh, is trying to mop up and, and clean up all the spots that the water had done. And when he comes back to the class, all the kids are on their hands and knees. And they're, it's full of sympathy. Everyone is saying, uh, oh, they're so sorry that that happened to him. But as life would have it, the ridicule that should have been his was transferred to Susie. Susie tries to help, but they refuse her help. And they mock her with words like klutz. I can't believe that you spilled it on him. Watch where you're going next time. You need to be more careful. And they began to ridicule Susie for spilling the bowl. As the day progresses, the sympathy for the boy gets better and better. And the ridicule for Susie gets worse and worse. And finally, at the end of the day, they're both waiting at the bus stop. The boy goes up to Susie and he says, Susie, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And Susie whispers back, sometimes I wet the bed too. The cross of Jesus Christ is our goldfish bowl spilled all over our pants, covering our shame, bearing the weight of our meanness, and propelling us to help cover others in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take whatever elements you have representing the body of Christ and partake in communion now. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take whatever drink you have representing the blood of Christ shed for you now as we take communion together? Father, we thank you for covering our shame. We thank you for being our substitute. We thank you for being our example. We thank you for being the pure and spotless lamb. We thank you for paying the ransom. We thank you for the ways in which we have freedom from death and Satan and our own sin because of what you did and how you triumphed 2,000 years ago. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for the weight that you bore on that cross, the scandal of grace. We thank you for that, Jesus. May we be changed by it and moved by your grace, your sacrifice, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you continue to ponder the goodness of God and the weight that he bore on that cross 2,000 years ago as we sing this song, Scandal of Grace.